Hey everybody, it's that time again to start making plans to attend this year's Figurative Art Convention and Expo, also known as FACE, taking place this year in Williamsburg, Virginia in November. And once again, the lineup of artists who will be giving demonstrations and presentations is incredible. We're talking Scott Waddell, Adrian Gottlieb, Michael Klein, Joshua LaRock, Dan Thompson, Gabriela Gonzalez Deloso, and many, many more. Go to figurativeartconvention.com for all the info. Hello everybody, my name is Danny Grant. I'm an artist, a drawing and painting instructor. I live in Austin, Texas, and I would like to welcome you back to the studio. This is the place where I interview and talk shop with other professional artists, and we get an inside glimpse into their daily lives as professional artists. On this episode is the great, great Patricia Watwood, but before we get into that, I want to say hello to all my friends over at Atelier Dojo in Austin, Texas, the greatest art studio west of the Mississippi, east of the Pecos. We have uh, quite a program going on this summer, many, many classes, so go check us out, atelierdojo.com, as well as some great workshops coming up. Zoe Frank is coming, Carrie Dunn, Aliyah Elbermani, um, so go to atelierdojo.com, check us out, and without further ado, here is Patricia Watwood. Okay, very excited to have the great artist Patricia Watwood on the phone with me. Hey, Patricia, how's it going? Hey, Danny, I'm great. Thanks for calling. Oh, thanks for thanks for taking the time to do this. So you are, I know you're in New York. What part of New York are you located in? I live in Brooklyn, and I live in Park Slope in Brooklyn and have for about 16 years now. Oh, nice. Park Slope is beautiful. Um, it is beautiful, and my my kids are have gone to school here, and it's been it, it, this my little area just feels like a small town that I live within Brooklyn, and so that's been great for for the combination of family and then work. Yeah, it's been yeah, good. yeah, yeah, definitely a f- family friendly part of Brooklyn. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and is your studio in your home, or do you rent a space? I rent. I have my studio at home. For a long time when my kids were younger, I rented a space um, nearby in Gowanus, um, and I had that for quite a long time, and I felt that I couldn't work at home, because especially when the kids are young, it's too disruptive, and they're too distracting. But then about three or four years ago, um, we had a little transition where I actually needed to sublet my studio for about four or five months, and I moved home. And then in the meantime, that studio building, like they threw out all the artists. So it's sort of by, you know, I thought that I was just moving temporarily and then I ended up moving permanently. And actually I've been happy with the way it's worked out because with my kids now, they're middle school and high school Mm -hmm. and they totally ignore me, but (laughs) I'm also kind of like around if they need me. So I actually am getting a lot more work done now just being here um, and not having to commute. And yeah, then yeah. on the other hand, you know, teenagers are funny. You never quite know when they really actually are going to need you or are going to actually like open up a conversation. Right. So it's kind of worked well to just be around um, for this period in their life. So, so yeah, I'm at home and, and probably will be for 
the foreseeable future, although one day I'd like to have a larger space again to do um, some really bigger canvases because really the canvases in this space I can do up to about like about six foot, you know, like four foot by six foot is sort of yeah. manageable. But anything bigger than that is is uh, I don't quite have the space. Wow. So, yeah, I noticed some of the uh, uh, and we'll get into this in a minute, but uh, I noticed some of the uh, the paintings you have in your current show are, are pretty large size. Is that is that a direction that you kind of um, you want to? Eat? So you just mentioned going even bigger. So I, I assume that's the yeah, direction I mean, you want to go to. I've figured out I really like working at a certain sort of medium to large scale. So especially with the figures, the figures aren't usually life size, but they're usually like probably around three quarter or. Yeah, probably about three-quarter life. Mm -hmm. And then I'm interested in being able to do multi-figure. So then putting that into a space, you end up kind of needing a canvas that's something like at least like 36 by, you know, 50. or yeah. uh, So oftentimes my proportions are something like, you know, 36 by 44. The biggest ones for my show were 48 by 54, mm -hmm. which actually I've kind of figured out is a really nice size for me because, it does actually fit in my sort of medium-sized studio, mm -hmm. but it feels big on a wall. Yeah. Um, so it's, and it's also, I, I've learned the hard way. I've made bigger pieces. Like my biggest painting is six foot by nine foot. Oh. And once you get up there, like, I got to get somebody to help me move it. Right. I got to yeah. run a truck if yeah. I need to put it in a show. Right. So like yeah. just the logistics of like it's what scale is really manageable. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. But I do like working bigger and I, that's definitely a goal of mine long-term to get back to a place where I'm able to do, you know, canvases that are, yeah, like six foot by eight foot. Um, just because I like the, like the recent work I've been doing, there's a lot of like big skies kind of, mm -hmm. you know, Tiepolo sort of clouds and then having space for a figure two, having more space around them. So I like that scale. Yeah, that's interesting. And so like, I mean, because certainly you could do all that stuff and have it, you know, really scaled down. You could, you know, really, really scale everything down and still have all that stuff in a picture. But you feel like that just is it kind of the, the impact thing on the wall that you're going for? You know, yeah. there's two things. Um, I mean, the impact. Yes. Although just being in New York, I'm a bit actually weary sometimes that people kind of like, oh, I'm going to make a really big painting to mm -hmm. just show that I'm like an ambitious painter, right? right like right. it's, you know, that's a little, gets a little old actually. And sometimes actually the, a really big statement can happen in a very small space. Mm -hmm. um, but there are two things I like about working bigger. And one of them is that um, when you're working on a larger scale and you're kind of getting close to a piece, it sort of breaks apart into different moments because mm. when you get closer to the canvas, then your visual field is filled with, say, this corner of the canvas, or mm. you move and look down at this section down here. And it almost becomes then like a series or like a sequence of paintings or moments within a painting, yeah. right? And I really love that experience um, in looking at larger works. And so that I really like. But then also, I think it's also just a technical thing, which is that um, I've been doing a lot of um, multi-layered work where the first pass will go up in a, a really pretty loose, open way. 
mm-hmm. um, with kind of um, broad brushwork and almost like a, almost watercolory kind of surfaces. And then um, going in with another layer. And I am a little loath to get to um, really to a really small brush and a really small scale. Yeah. So I, it's just more, I'm just more comfortable as a painter with kind of like a medium sized brush. And of course I, you know, I do portraits and so in eyes. So it's sooner or later, I'm getting at those tiny brushes for, for the eyes and the mouth or whatever. Sure. But sure. Um, for these invented spaces with like the sky and the background, it's, it's just, um, it feels more fun, frankly, for me and just, um, more natural to my um, instincts as a painter to work at a bigger scale with the brushwork. Yeah, that that makes sense. So that's interesting. Um, so how is this a more recent development for you? Or like, I guess my question is, um, I think that's a big thing for a painter is to just figure out what's a comfortable way for you to work? What's kind of like really works with your personality and, and all of that, because, right. you know, we have all this, uh, we go to school for a long time and we, we build this sort, certain way of working that, that may just be from, from, uh, you know, what we learned in school. And then, um, you know, maybe you continue to do that or, or maybe you, you break out of that and you, you figure out your own thing. But um, I think that's cool. Like that you sort of figured out, that this really works for you. And I was just wondering, like, is that sort of a, a more recent uh, development or, or have you kind of been working yeah. that way for a while? No, it's definitely been a development and it's been a development in the past couple of years. And actually with this new show that I have right now that um, I feel like I've developed some more confidence in. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the first painting that I kind of started that I think people know is Pandora, mm-hmm. um, where I kind of created this sort of invented uh, landscape. Yeah. And once I started doing that, then I, I've done since that time a number of other land, you know, paintings where the figure is kind of set in this sort of imagined, imaginative world. Mm-hmm. And the process of learning how to develop those spaces um, has kind of led me into figuring out these technical um, considerations of, of scale and, and materiality. Um, I think one thing, probably most people are more familiar with my work online, but um, when you see my work in life, it's actually, it is a bigger scale um, and there isn't actually as much detail as you sort of think there might be. Sure. And I'm very interested in that, in how, you know, from close up, it sort of breaks apart into something that's actually painterly and two dimensional. And then you step back um, at a distance and your mind kind of stitches it together into something that looks like it's going to be tight. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the kind of thing that I think I, I do realize like I can working at a little bit larger uh, scale allows for that kind of play for me um, anyway. Um, and yeah, it's definitely been something that I've been both trying to, trying to figure out how to do and then develop more of, yeah, in my work. Um, I'm interested in like, you know, world building in terms of creating, you know, that these figures are in this space that isn't really just, it's not like, um, it's not my present world. It's like the world of my studio or the world outside my door. It's sort of this this alternate sort of imaginative uh pictorial space yeah 
so how much how much planning goes into a picture like that as far as that sort of world that you're creating um i would imagine you start with the figure and then um sort of build around that but but uh, i'm curious yeah. as to as to the process there are you you know doing thumbnail sketches of those little worlds or is it totally just sort of uh evolving on the canvas yeah it's a little bit of both i always plan out my work i'm sort of i'm sort of a planner and i also since i i really do love kind of um careful draftsmanship and you know good structure and good proportion mm -hmm. so i I usually I'll kind of have a concept for a painting and make a conceptual sketch of it on a really small scale and sometimes really small, sometimes just even like four inches by six inches yeah. or, you know, eight by 10, something like that, where I can just express the um, idea of it, usually just from imagination and not have to worry too much about sort of the details of the figure and just be like, okay, I know what I want the pose to be. I know I want how I want these the feeling of these figures, whether it's one or two, you know, com you know, how I want them posed together. Yeah. Um, and then I'll do a series, you know, the, then once I'm like, yeah, I really like this concept, then I'll figure out, well, I need Sometimes I have to kind of problem solve, like, oh, I need a model for this. I don't, and try to find the model who really fits the painting. Mm -hmm. Find the model, then do some studies from life so that I can kind of really understand the figure and be able to like paint the details of the hands or the feet, you know, really naturalistically. Right. But then, as far as the background, um, I usually, those I kind of develop a little bit more intuitively and a little more on the fly as I go in the big painting. So mm -hmm. I kind of get the figure part worked out and I usually have a design in terms of like, okay, this whole big shape is a big dark background. And then there's a big, you know, as far as the design, a slice of light from the sky and the shape of the clouds, like going this way. So I've mm -hmm. kind of thought through those design components, yeah. but then I yeah. always get to, but what actually is in this like big dark shape? And I'm like, and honestly, it's, right. it's both fun and terrifying because usually I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I kind of, it's it, at its most fun. Um, what actually usually happens is it's almost this like intuitive back and forth conversation with the painting where you sort of put up some shape, you sort of follow your instincts and put up some shapes. And then almost like a, an ink blot, it starts to suggest things to you. Hmm. And then you kind of develop those ideas that are coming, being suggested by the painting. And I remember at one point, it's like, who's painting this anyway, <laughs> right? Like, because <laughs> right. I'm kind of like letting the painting tell me how to shape it, right? Yeah. Um, and that, that has been, it's been really fun. It's really um, scary because I'm not, you know, I was trained in the atelier where, the, the answer to the question, you know, how do I make this painting more beautiful? Mm -hmm. um, the answer to that question usually is like, well, you know, let me, you know, are the proportions correct? Could I, should I model the, you know, the skin tones more? Should I add more detail? Should I refine this passage? Should I try to make it, you know, more naturalistic? Right. But then in this sort of imaginative space, there's, there's no external anything by which to say, you know, what, what's the right direction to go to make this painting more yeah. beautiful or more successful or whatever. Right. 
Um, so I really have to just trust my instincts. Um, and it's, it's fun and it's exhilarating and it's also kind of scary. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. And well, that just made me think. So, so I guess part of, um, would you say that part of the way then that you're making decisions about the figure is based on the fact that the figure is in this certain kind of invented environment, just in terms of like, um, you know, where you were just saying, how, how could I, maybe you're asking yourself, how would I make this more beautiful or whatever? Um, well, I guess that's the question. Are, are decisions that you're making about how to handle the figure then, uh, affected by the way, affected by the other elements in this painting? Right. So, does that um, make sense? In- Right. In general, in the past, that's been a progression as well, because in the past, um, I usually um, sort of approach the figure and the design of the figure pretty, I think, from a pretty traditional and classical um, mode Mm -hmm. where, and I actually even have a theater background. So I really almost think of it as like, okay, I'm going to cast this character Hmm. and I'm going to kind of create a you know, find the right model who sort of embodies this idea. I'm going to shape the pose in a way that sort of hopefully gesturally, you know, both is interesting in terms of design, but also kind of expresses the mood, you know, or, or the narrative of the, of the painting. Um, and then I've kind of left the more exploratory stuff to the background, right. And sort of painted the figures from life and then added the backgrounds. But the show that I just was doing now, there's, two paintings that I actually did the figures as well from imagination. And the, and the, and the reason I did that is I'm, I've been thinking a lot um, and noticing this, this idea about the, the willing suspension of disbelief in representational painting hmm. and that there are certain um, sort of limits about what you accept as being sort of real or believable um, in an image. Right. And especially within the world of realism and because of photography, we have a certain expectation that any kind of like figure, especially if it's like really tightly rendered or highly naturalistic, that somehow it's sort of operating within the the physical realm of, of the rules of the real world. Mm -hmm. And then you get into these weird, like, and then you get into these questions, pictorial questions like, well, why is that naked lady sitting on a rock holding a rock? Well, a (laughs) naked lady can't hold a rock. Like you get into this cul-de-sac of like kind of quote unquote stupid questions about like, and I think all of us starting painting. And if you're thinking about doing nudes, you're like, well, I could paint a nude in a bathtub, right? Right, right. There are nudes in showers, right? (laughs) Um, You know, because we think about like, what is believable? Yeah. so I've been thinking about this idea of, of how do I take a viewer like into this world and, um, and allow, and yeah, like get the, you know, to agree with me on the willing suspension of disbelief that within this world, all of this makes sense. And you don't right. have to ask these other questions. 
Um, so anyway, I've been thinking about that concept a lot as I've developed this work. And so I realized with these two paintings that the figures, like I've always wanted to do those paintings where the figures are like floating in the sky, mm-hmm. you know, Bouguereau has a few great ones and yeah, yeah, like yeah. Bo Bartlett has a really interesting composition where the figures are just sweeping through the sky. And I think like Klimt has one, you know, yeah. um, and so I wanted to make one like that. And I kind of realized that if I just kind of really painted all those naturalistic details from life, it was going to fall apart as an image. Um, right. So what I ended up doing is doing the drawings from a model. So to kind of figure out how I was going to construct the figure. But then I painted it totally from imagination and in a lot more with a lot more like open brushwork and kind of. Um, you know, broken form a little bit to, mm-hmm. so that so that it also has the feeling of just like airiness and open and and that you're not asking why are those two naked people flying through the sky, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's that's so like that's a little window into some of the ideas I've been exploring. Um, yeah. In this territory of of like paint handling and how the paint handling works with the subject matter. I think, uh, sorry, just just thinking about those those figures floating. I think one of the um, one of the things that I've seen in paintings um, that are trying to get figures that are doing that is that uh, it seems so hard to get the feet to feel like they're not <laughs> resting <laughs> yes. on, resting on something, and that and it sometimes comes across as like. Yeah, I get that you put space under the feet, but those feet are still clearly like, you know, right? Um, yeah, <laughs> so it seems yeah. like a, a a very special challenge. Um, but so so something like that, you feel like once you sort of, you know, you do that study and then, but then you kind of paint it, um, you know, based on the study, but you're not copying the study. Like right. you're able to sort of get away from a little bit of that. Is that part of why you, yeah. why you did it that way? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. And really try to allow the picture to. Um, so not so much being guided by, you know, what does the model look like? And can I make my figure and my painting look more faithfully like the model? but letting the figures in the painting really relate to the painting as a whole yeah. and succeed in how they, you know, make an image and make a, um, yeah, con- convey an emotion, convey an energy, um, work in a pictorial space, those kinds of considerations. Yeah. That's, that's, um, that's really interesting. Cause I, I do think that's a special problem when you start to put, when you have that kind of background and you, um, you want to put your figure in an in an environment, and I think, you know, with the training, we're so you know it's all about rendering form and just really nailing form, um, right. and then that puts you in a situation kind of where where there are all these questions about how to manage the background when you have this figure, and so right. I guess the thing is, uh, you know, you'll you'll see paintings and they look like the figure. Um, just doesn't belong there or there's this sort of cut out weird cut and paste feel to the figure in the background mm-hmm. um so anyway no that it sounds like you're 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 solving that problem at least for yourself and um and i i i mean looking at your paintings they definitely um i think you've you've really you really have accomplished that where the figure really feels a part 
the the handling and and all of that right. really feels a part of that background it feels a part of that right. um i think that's um that's you're to be applauded for that i think it's it's a well thank you yeah, yeah no, it's, i've it's, kind of go ahead i've kind of come to realize that in some ways that sort of that atelier training and the sort of tendency towards uh realism and sort of detail actually kind of works counter to my other aims you know as a painter as far as like pictorial space and narrative and imagination and so it's been, I've been kind of like letting go of, you know, of, of certain kinds of accuracy or certain kinds of detail um, in pursuit of sort of a, a larger pictorial um, um, idea. Yeah. And yes. it's been, yeah, it's been, it's been, a, I've, it's been a long transition, like, you know, little baby steps all the way from, from one thing to the other. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's cool. Um, not to, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm beating this to death. But, but do you feel like if if the if the figure is just you know really tightly rendered and all of that 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 the viewer can get caught up in that figure and not they're not sort of allowed to uh, get lost in this bigger space? Absolutely, yes, I okay. do, and I also think that there's another problem which is that in the contemporary context of uh, figurative painting and art making, that once a viewer, especially a viewer who's like not really just like a, you know, a trained painter or a sort of classically trained painter, they see a figure that sort of has that kind of tightly rendered realism. They won't, they just sort of write it off. They just like, oh, that's like an academic style of painting or that style of painting is is um, sort of backward looking, you know. Mm. Um, and I, I think I've had my own, you know, experience of seeing work, you know, this sort of a atelier trained work where, you know, it can be just achingly beautifully rendered and the light on the drapery and the model. It's like really beautiful but I'm not like engaged by the painting, right? Like mm -hmm. I admire it, but mm -hmm. I don't love it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've, I've been thinking about that as, as well. Yeah. But yeah. I think that right now in the context of the world that we're in a certain kind of tightly academically rendered figure, um, it doesn't connect with people. Um, it doesn't. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. Um, I don't know how deep we want to go into this, but why do, why do you think that is? <laughs> um, I mean, I think in some ways it's cultural conditioning. I mean, a lot of people aren't, you know, trained and used to looking at, you know, 19th century or academic or, you know, carefully rendered figurative art. Um, you know, certainly people are not, don't have a lot of experience with thinking about, oh, how do you interpret the narrative of this piece? Yeah. Um, and they they find it a little not alienating exactly, but um, a little rarefied, you know. Mm. Um, hmm. And it it doesn't You're a bit um, elitist or something like that. Yeah, a little elitist, or it doesn't. It just doesn't feel like it connects to them. I actually, this is of all people, like I got this idea a little bit from R. H. Ives Gamel. Mm -hmm. um, in Twilight of Painting, he talks about uh, poetic pictures, and he talks about the important uh, importance of like subject matter in poet in this you know what he called any kind of history painting 
uh, you know, which is more broadly sort of figurative and multifigurative narrative painting, yeah. uh, poetic pictures. Um, bec- um, and his point was that to communicate with your audience, who is not just the audience of painters, that you have to kind of um, give them an entry point as far as subject matter um, and something that th- that they um, are engaged by, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I, I thought I thought that was really insightful. That is, yeah, it is insightful, and 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 uh, that comment about um, audience of painters, I think that's so, especially for for people who've had atelier training, and you're you're in this um, you're in this environment that's where you're looking around, and you you're you know it's a little bit competitive, uh, but it's more than that. It's you're also admiring the people that are doing this. Uh, that are, you know, kind of painting really great form and they're, you know, they're mm-hmm. kind of, they're really getting in it and they're really having success and maybe you're struggling or whatever, but like, um, and so I think that it sort of breeds this, we start painting for other artists. So that's, that's mm-hmm. uh, uh, an interesting kind of shift yeah. maybe um, that, that maybe more people oh. might want to make. Yeah. I'm kind of figuring this out through our conversation, but like, I think that for painters and especially atelier trained, like you're really inspired and you understand form. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think the broader audience is really, um, really connects to emotion. Right. They really connect to the energy and feeling. And yeah, you know, maybe it's just energetic color, you know, they they just want, and they want to feel, they want, you know, they want to be emotionally like connected and moved. Mm -hmm. And so as a painter, I think there's ways in which certain kinds of expressions of form can, yeah, kind of be a little alienating or a little like elitist, a little rarefied. And then there's other forms that really just can like pull your audience in, you know, and they're just like moved and they're just like, well, I don't know why I love that, but I love that, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, th- I that's, uh, gosh, that's such a great point. I don't know why I haven't thought more about that but it's so true that that people connect to emotion because it's the same thing with um you know if you're trying to persuade someone of a certain idea you know you could you could throw out all the numbers and facts and everything behind what you're trying to persuade something somebody of but that's not going to do it it's it's the the emotion people are drawn to emotion they have to believe it that it's right and that it's true um and that it's that it's it's morally right and so yeah um yeah and the thing is is emotion and painting especially in figurative art and narrative art it's not specifically located in the gesture and the facial expression of the painting right i mean you have this you're thinking about like 19th century painting and there's, you know, it's that word histrionic, you know, when people are even like David, you know, they're making these very melodramatic faces, you know, mm-hmm. and, oh, they're, look, you can tell they're full of anguish, right? <laughs> got um, but actually head, all, yeah. right, they're wringing their hair, you know, but actually none of those things really like feel to me like emotion, right? Mm-hmm. There oftentimes there's other things that in a painting you know, yeah, maybe it's it's the design, it's the color, it's the energy of the paint handling. It can also be, of course, you know, the beauty of the pose and the, the story itself. 
but it's not like, but emotion in, in the painting is not necessarily specifically related to sort of its level of realism. Right, 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 right. Um, and then, of course, uh, but of course, we're talking, we're, <laughs> we're still in the realm of representationalism. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think that that can free up um just a lot of people to go make a bu- make paintings there's that sort of mindset i think could could really free up people to go make paintings that you know maybe the type of paintings that they've always wanted to make and maybe felt mm-hmm. hamstrung a little bit about about mm-hmm. the process and like this is the way that this needs to be handled or this is the way that i'm supposed to yeah. work and um or if I, you know, I can't, I'm not ready to make that kind of a painting. I can't technically handle that thing, but um, I don't know. How... I promise you, if you wait until you feel like you're technically yeah. ready, you're never going to be ready. Right. Um, yeah. And and I very much, you know, in coming after um, art school, felt very much like I don't really know there's a lot I don't know technically about how to make the kind of paintings I've wanted to make and I've had to just explore and and figure it out you know um but hopefully not but but also you have to stick your neck out you have to like take a risk of making a really big bad ugly painting you know that your friends are not gonna get you know um, yeah. and you know, when I look at, at paintings that I've made over the last 10 years, you know, there's, I can be like, okay, well, this part of this painting, I'm really proud of because I learned how to do X, Y, Z, and it shows a lot of growth in this. And then, you know, and this other part, I kind of like, you know, screwed up, you know, right. but every single painter like can identify that, that that's just how it is, sure. you know? Um, so yeah, I think if anybody is listening to this and feeling like, You've got this little voice in you kind of telling you to that you have some big eye. You just have to you just have to give yourself permission to figure it out and also give yourself permission to fail and give yourself permission to not do what your friends are doing. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's so huge. So huge, especially in the in this uh, you know, in the social media age, it's yeah. so easy to get caught up in what your friends are yeah. doing. Um Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a, I mean, it's a huge point, and, and I think, um, but it's just like anything else. If, if people think back to when they um, just started drawing anything, you know, a cast of an ear or whatever, and it felt daunting, yeah. um, you know, because you looked around and, and everyone else was doing these amazing drawings, and, and you just never done it before, and, you know, you just got to dive in, and I think, I think um, whatever it is, you do, you, start making this painting that you you just feel completely not ready to make and and it's a huge challenge and all of that but but i think each of those elements you you have to start somewhere so it's just just a matter of like okay well now i know and you can just start (laughs) figuring it out from there right i mean you can absolutely yeah yeah and i i am excited excited about in general the field of kind of uh, representational figurative work because I feel like there's a lot of my colleagues were all you know my age and a little younger who've been painting just long enough that people are really starting to yeah explore and differentiate themselves 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so hopefully it will kind of lead to a, a real flourishing of, of creativity and also differentiation, you know, so that yeah. all, you know, all of us kind of trained in a similar place end up, you know, creating a lot of different uh, looking work. Yeah, I mean, it's ultimately the reason that that we all started doing this in the first place. I think no one, <laughs> you know, it's, it's these kinds of paintings, right? That that for me it was, and and I'm sort of just starting to dip my toe in there. But but that's you know, it was definitely um, I don't know. I've, I've repeated myself uh, mm-hmm. on this podcast yeah. with this before, but but I you know, I've if anyone knows my work, they probably know they're thinking of still lifes, but you know, before I went and studied um, at an atelier, I, I didn't care at all about still life painting. Um, right. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. You know, it wasn't the thing that I wanted to do. It was just the thing that I learned how to do. And I, I'm not, I, I'm proud of those paintings and all of that. And, I, and I, I've liked all that work that I did, but you know, it's just, that wasn't what I set out to do. And so um, I, I think, I don't know. I, I would think for a lot of people, it's the same way. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's been very much that way for me. And I, I actually at one point, and I mean, you know, it's a, a fortunate thing that there is a market for still life. And a lot of us who kind of went through the atelier found that at a certain point you get technically proficient and you can, you've understood how to make a really beautiful still life and you mm-hmm. sell them. Um, but for me personally, I sort of realized that actually I didn't have a lot creatively to say in terms of an artistic way about still life. Like yeah. I could make a painting of a bowl of apples, but that wasn't like expressing myself creatively. Right. 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 And I had to just, I had to just stop painting them, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and just really like, I knew that the, the thing that I cared most about was figurative work and portrait work. Um, and tried to just be committed to to figuring out how to make the kind of work that I wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I want to I want to talk about this idea of um, sincerity. This came up uh, mm-hmm. at the last. Well, I mentioned this on email but at the last uh, face conference. You were on this panel, and it was a um, it was a panel of uh, from the suggested donation podcast with Tony and Ted, and there were a, a number of yep. uh, of incredible artists up there. And um, as sort of often happens, the conversation among artists got to basically what is beauty, right? And and um, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just a conversation. It's just a thing that almost can't be answered, um, right? And you you jumped in and said, you know, I think what we should be more focused on or, or the more important thing is is the idea of, of sincerity. And um, I was just I was applauding you in my head. And I, I just I loved that <clears throat> because I think that's I really do think that's what it comes down to as far as um, the work that each that each artist is making. It's like as long as it's sincere and it comes there's i mean the the is just so open as far as subject matter or whatever um but if you're sincere i think that that's that's the most important thing that the grossest artwork to me is the is the stuff that's that's sort of mocking and ironic and um uh you know campy in a way that's sort of just mocking like you know sincerity right and, or it and, feels just crassly commercial right like you yeah know, yeah 
Yeah, like yeah. sort of cynically, somehow they've decided that people will pay thousands for doll- of dollars for this, and I'll yeah. just you know kind of yeah and yeah. I think uh, yeah, I find that kind of work um, also. It's just uh, it's just kind of it's just depressing and kind of gross and <laughs> um, makes you feel bad about the state of the world. <laughs> um, yeah. One of the things I love about my art community, um, you know, is that. In general, most of the people that I know in who are doing contemporary figurative work and sort of atelier trained work is that they tend to be like really marvelous, intelligent, yeah, sincere, yeah. Um, thoughtful people who in some ways really feel like they want to make art in part because they want to make the world a better place. Um, and um, that's not something that you can feel like it can be universally said about the art world. And I, um, I love that about my art community. Um, I do think that conversation about, you know, what is beauty and how it's just, it's a dead end cul-de-sac that nobody, yeah. people have been trying to define beauty for two or 3000 years or longer, <laughs> and they still haven't come up with an answer. And it doesn't, it just doesn't help me move forward. I don't think it helps our, our um, movement. If we have a movement, I don't think it helps it move forward. Because yeah. it's also not yeah. a conversation that is engaging to either the larger art world or the world in general. Um, but on the other hand, I do think that like in this world of like, yeah, Instagram and Facebook and our lives feel so frenetic and um, commodified and disposable that one of the reasons that people are drawn to both making and 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 then also looking at the kind of work we do is because it just gives them hope that in fact not everything is like meaningless and uh disposable right that some things are are earnestly crafted and people take way more trouble than they need to just because they believe it's it's good and and wonderful to to take tremendous effort to make something beautiful um or you know make something make a try to make a great work of art um so i got this idea a little bit from reading david foster wallace because he was uh commenting on the lack of sincerity that he saw in that sort of postmodern coolness, you know, mm. where everything is ironic and yes. everything is yes. glib and nobody wants to sort of make a statement of like this, I believe, right. Everybody's just kind of like poking holes and, Oh, this is so fake. And that, you know, isn't it ironic? People are so full of hypocrisy. Right. Um, and all of that is totally true. And, you know, in the seventies and sixties, um, you know, that was important to bring forward into culture, but I feel like what's happened in the art world, um, is that people are actually unwilling to make a statement of like something they actually believe in, yeah. or they're, they're unwilling to like be perceived as being like sentimental or, <laughs> yes, yes. you know, affectionate, yeah. you know, sincere, yeah. Um, all of those kinds of feelings get written off as just being kitsch, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And of course, there is kitsch in all of that sort of hallmarky kind of stuff, but also like love and sincerity and, you know, all of those things are incredibly profound and important. Yeah. So, um, 
so I thought that was interesting that of all people, you know, the, the Pulitzer Prize favorite, David Foster Wallace, was right. like, listen, kind of the cool writer, yeah. you gotta, yeah, you know, you gotta, you gotta stop with all of this like postmodern deconstruction, everything and try to like actually be sincere about something you believe in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, good for him. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Be, uh, what's so bad about that idea is and it's um it's kind of cowardly i think because it's every you, all the energy you put out there is about what you're against and and pointing out mm-hmm. the deficiencies and all this other stuff but not having the courage to say i believe in this i'm for this i'm making an argument for this and it's not about what i'm against but it's it's about what i believe in one hundred percent. And I, I get tired of hearing like a lot of painters, you know, in the 80s and 90s starting to do kind of narrative work. They always would create these very sort of an enigmatic narrative um, being and kind of like, well, it can mean whatever you want it to mean. <laughs> yeah. Which I mean, you know, mystery and painting is marvelous. But honestly, it usually comes across as sort of an unwillingness to commit on the part of the painter. And then you're kind of like, well, I have no idea what you mean. And I'm kind of bored. You know, <laughs> I, yeah, I'd that's much a, yeah. rather have, you know, someone make an assertion of tell me right. what's in your heart. Like, I want to know. Yeah. At least point me in the right direction. Give me something to grab yeah. onto here. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, what about that, though? Because, I mean, you do want your, you know, you do want, um, I don't know, I've thought about this. I've thought more about, more in sort of titling paintings. Um, I'm struggling with the title of a certain painting right now because um, I feel like the uh, the title that's in my head is just too sort of spot on. It's too on the nose. And I, there's part of me that does want the viewer to sort of figure it out. Like not, there's enough there to, it's, it's not a hard puzzle to put together, but do you know what I mean? Like I, I do struggle with that thought a little bit as far as, um, I do want, I do do kind of want you mean. Yeah. You don't, you don't necessarily want to come across as sort of heavy handed or obvious mm-hmm. or um, pedantic or like, I'm not even interested in sort of like, you know, proselytizing. Right. You know, right, right, I want right. to be able to share what I'm, you know, how I'm feeling, but not let other have other people necessarily feel like I think that they should feel that way too. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I know what you mean, but I, I guess I would say on the other hand of that, as far as titling a work is that, um, I don't think you should make your viewer work too hard, you know, and yeah. hopefully the painting itself um, is the part that really carries the, maybe the mystery or the richness or the multi-layered, you know, meaning that the, the title, I think the title should actually be in general um, um, a way into the painting for the viewer, you know, hmm. that the title should help lead them, should be an arrow pointing to what them, what you want them to understand oh, good. Yeah. or notice or think about. Okay. Yeah. That's a good, uh, I like that sort of a good, good guideline. Um, so yeah, it's just an entry point into then sort of really exploring the painting and thinking about that idea as they explore the painting. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> 
Okay, um, cool. Yeah. And hopefully as painters, our ideas are complex enough that they don't, you know, okay, that's all there is, you know, hopefully not. But <laughs> Well, I think then you, then you get involved in, um, you know, and like, like you were saying earlier, then you get in, like with your paintings being of a, of a certain scale and everything, then they get involved in, they sort of, they can, they can think about that, but they can also sort of just get lost in certain moments of the painting and just looking at those those you know those elements of the painting and just right. just appreciating them visually and then and then you know and then you'll think of the idea again and maybe zoom back out and zoom back in and in a different yeah. part and so um it can be that kind of experience yeah um, i hope so i think it's important for a painting to have a lot of different layers that if mm -hmm. a if a viewer takes their time to really notice um mm -hmm. the many details that i put in my work that there's lots of little details that then should um, make the ideas of the painting more complicated, whether it's, um, you know, because maybe it's a mythological theme, but it has very contemporary items that then, mm -hmm. you know, lead the viewer back into the present moment or um, sometimes little p bits of symbolism that don't seem obvious, but maybe refer to something in art history so that if they take the time, it could be read, you know, and unpacked. Yeah. And yeah, I, for sure. uh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like that about your paintings. I definitely uh, noticed that and, and, you know, definitely um, <clears throat> elements of, of, of art history and the, and the, the juxtaposition of this sort of classical figure with, with, uh, more sort of modern day um, objects and things like that. Um, right. Yeah. So um, let's take it back into a little bit different direction. Uh, one one thing that I always ask my my uh, the artists that I interview is is just about um, what your sort of daily schedule looks like as an artist. Um, almost I. I Wanted to cover that. <laughs> I'm almost disappointed to get back to that because I'm I'm really enjoying this kind of conversation. But but I do want to cover that with you. Just just what it looks like for you on a daily basis. What you know, time you get up in the yeah. morning, when you get into the studio, if you're yeah. if you get into the studio on on certain yeah. days, or they're you know they're yeah. taken up by other things. But so what what kind of how does it look for you like, right. on a daily basis? So I have a family. Um, I have a husband and I have two daughters. Mm -hmm. And with having kids, that just has created a pretty structured regiment to my time, right? Mm -hmm. So I get up in the morning at seven when it's time to make sure, sure the kids are getting up and, you know, get them bright. And we do our morning, you know, right, making right. lunches and breakfast. And then they are old enough, you know, then I have my time during the day, um, to, to work. So, um, my day is always broken up into, um, there's always email and computer work, which yeah. drives me nuts. And yeah. anyone who's had to work with me on email knows that I can actually ignore my email for days <laughs> at a stretch, which Good for you. I consider yeah. just one of the privileges and perks of being a, an artist. Like there aren't many, you know, you don't get any vacation benefits, but I can't ignore my email. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, you know, the social media sort of tending your social media garden, which, um, I do regularly, but not necessarily daily. Okay. 
Um, do you have do you have certain goals like that you want to like do you do you do you um stick to posting at least weekly or things like that? I I always sort of intend to post closer to daily and always fail. Mm-hmm. So I probably post, you know, three or four times a week, something like that. Okay. Although I I will definitely go through periods in my life whether maybe there's just a lot of family stuff going on, or frankly, maybe I'm on vacation and I will not worry about posting at those times. Mm -hmm. So, um, so it definitely kind of cycles where, um, for example, I have this show right now. And so for the last three months, I've tried to be pretty consistent about posting much more regularly, just Mm -hmm. knowing that, um, you know, I wanted to be able to have my stuff visible and, um, and be seen. So, um, it goes back and forth. I admire um, many of my colleagues who are just like geniuses at, um, yeah. you know, Instagram and social media and have, you know, they always get 5,000 likes on everything they do. And I'm, you know, I, I don't work on it that hard. Yeah. Um, I actually don't really, I don't spend a lot of time on Instagram or Facebook because I don't find it like, I find it a little boring. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, so it's definitely a feedback loop. Um, mm-hmm. And then, the other thing is, is it's a big time suck and it's a big problem as far as just kind of, I call it like the big computer, right? It's like you go on and you just see all these images that are amazing and impressive that your friends are doing and they got 3000 likes and you're like, well, you know, and then you just kind of go to your studio and I, I, I am cautious to not let myself be too, um, primed by that pump, you know, and yeah. to try to create space around it so that I um, am able to just continue to work on what I am working on and be guided on, guided by the criteria that are important to me yeah. and not necessarily the criteria that are awarded by um, the the vagaries of Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the social media, anyway, that's a little digression. Then <laughs> studio work, um, my work is broken up into a lot of different things. Um, I do teach, um, I teach one day a week right now. Um, I am actually considering taking up something else that might mean I might expand it to two days a week. Um, okay. And I have some reservations about doing that because I already don't feel like I have enough time in the studio. Yeah. Um, but I also have a child who's about to go to college. So the realities of just income are, um, it's always a delicate balance. Yeah, Um, Yeah, for sure. I actually, the thing I like teaching and I like the relationships and I like how it uh, gets me talking and thinking about art. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do a lot of, I do portrait commissions and those in some ways are the most lucrative way for me to kind of cover my nut, you know, as a painter. Yeah. So, um, I do uh, two or three oil painting portraits in a year and usually a few drawing commissions, you know? Nice. Um, and that really makes a big difference in my in my um, bottom line over the course of a year. Um, do you work with then, a? Um, sorry to jump in here. Do you yeah. work? Do you work with a um, one of the portrait uh, companies? Yes. Portraits Inc. I'm or one of those? By, yeah, I'm repped by Portraits Inc. Um, and I also have a partnership with a couple of individuals um, who are portrait brokers. And in fact, uh, uh, one of the galleries that I'm sometimes the galleries will sort of take your portrait 
portfolio as well, because they know that sometimes they have clients who come in. But to be perfectly honest, I think 75% or even more of my portrait work comes from word of mouth from other portrait projects that I've done. Um, I actually grew up in St. Louis, and frankly, a lot of my portrait work is in St. Louis because St. Louis is, um, doesn't nearly have the density of, of um, mm. classically trained artists as, say, New York City, right? And, yeah, um, sure. um, and I grew up there, so, so I've got a good network there. So I've done a lot of portrait work in St. Yeah, Louis. Yeah, I noticed you you're, saw you're one of the mayor there. Yeah, yeah, I've painted two of the really mayor, cool. two two different mayors, and oh, nice. uh, a mm-hmm. lot of stuff for St. Louis University and Washington University. So that's been, and my family is still there. My parents are still there. So that's actually been a really wonderful um, way for me to stay connected with my hometown. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, workshops, um, mm-hmm. which I'm actually only I only do like two or three a year. Um, I've got one coming up in St. Louis at uh, the class, the Gateway Academy of Classical Art, and I'm doing one in Brooklyn um, on my own um, here in July. Mm-hmm. And in, when my kids were younger, I couldn't really do them because my husband also travels a lot for work and his schedule is somewhat unpredictable. Right. So it would be sort of impossible to schedule them. Um, sure. So a little bit of workshops. Um, and then studio work i it goes up and down when i i've just been working on this show um for it really sort of like i got home after you know christmas vacation like january one and i was just like oh man i really gotta like get serious about like getting (laughs) everything done for the show because i had you know half a dozen sort of like finished or kind of like half finished pieces and you know some other stuff that was kind of started but I really was very behind. Um, So in the last several months, I've really just kind of frankly let all of that, you know, the housekeeping, (laughs) you know, all of those things that one needs to do in one's life, you know, I've kind of let all of that go and, and spent a lot more time in the studio and was probably in the studio. um, I don't know, 30 and 40 hours a week, you know, and, and evenings and weekends and stuff like that. Um, but honestly, you know, on a day to day, you know, when I'm not in the middle of some sort of crunch, I probably paint um, three or four days a week. Right. And I right. teach one day a week and then one day, a week, you know, one day inevitably gets sort of just eaten up with whatever is on my computer that has to be tended to. Mm, yeah. um, and um, I always wish I had more uh studio time and i wish i had a studio assistant to sort of take care of some of that other stuff <laughs> yeah, for right? sure yeah. Yeah. yeah god how amazing would it be to have someone just answer emails and do that sort of thing right i know right handle yeah. your social media oh my gosh that'd be awesome oh my god yeah that would be great <laughs> <laughs> no it's amazing yeah. how much time that yeah. stuff takes up and and how it does i yeah. it's, it's just so frustrating to me i don't know just sitting and in front I, I of mean, the computer, it's the last yeah. thing I want to be doing. But Exactly. And hours go by, and then suddenly it's the end of the day, and you're yeah. like, I don't know what just happened. Yeah. Um, honestly, having finished that show, um, I kind of have some catch-up to do, and I have a large pile on my desk that's yeah, been I'm neglected. Sure. So then I probably, in the next month or so, will probably have several weeks where it's really much more like probably, oh, you know, a couple of days of painting, you yeah. know? like. yeah. It's, you know, 
as I catch up on other things. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh man. Well, uh, Patty, it's been really, really fun talking with you. Um, is there anything that you want to put out there before we sign off here? Um, Mm-hmm. The show, the show's up. How how long is the show going? The show is runs actually until May seventeenth. So I'm not sure what your turnaround time is, but likely by the time okay. this goes up, the show will have come down. Yeah. Um, and I there is um, like I will there's a PDF catalog of the show um, on my website, oh, cool. um, so people can see that. And of course, the the images will be on my website. Um, I was really, yeah, I'm really proud of that show. I've been, it's been three years since my last solo. It's been a really, there's just been a lot of changes in my life and my personal life. And um, this show kind of reflects it, but I think it also reflects a lot of growth so that I feel now sort of at the end of this long journey, kind of like really excited about some of this new imaginative work that I've been doing and like excited to kind of keep developing it. So so yeah, it's been great. And I've been really happy that with the feedback I've been getting from people who've been seen the show and like, it's clear to them like, wow, this is really different. And I love your new direction. So oh, that's been, oh, that's, that's been great. really rewarding. Yeah. Yeah, no, congratulations on all that. It's, it's, um, it's an achievement, I think, to, to kind of push, push forward to that place where you're really, you're really excited about your work. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Patty. Um, it's yeah. a pleasure talking to you. It's it's fun to talk about painting and art. So thank you. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, have a great day and uh, we will talk to you down the road. All right. Take care. Be well. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. Thanks again to the fabulous Patricia Watwood. And thank you guys for listening. And as usual, if you're listening on iTunes, go ahead and give us a six and a half star rating and leave a review if you would like that helps us stay visible in the itunes world and if you'd like to contribute financially to this podcast i.e give me money you can do that by going to dannygrantfineart.com going to the podcast page and clicking the donate button in the top right hand corner and if you would like to drop me in line Send me an email. You can do that, Danny, at dannygrantfineart.com. And that will do it for today. Thank you guys so much, and I will talk to you next time. Bye. On a rooftop in Brooklyn At one in the morning Watching the lights flash Manhattan I see five bridges The Empire State Building And you said something That I've never forgotten Lean against railing Living, I held my breath.
your plan We sing up to the eighth floor A rooftop Manhattan One in the morning You said something That I've never forgotten Was really important. 